0: AI Mentors is brought to you by Allus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our podcast, AI Mentors, brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast tracking you to the top, AI Mentors cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career.
1: Welcome to AI Mentors. I'm your host, J.P. Valentine. Our guest today is Michael Ferrari. Michael is the managing partner of Atlas Research Innovations. Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Michael, please give us a a bit of a background on on yourself and, and, and some of the work that you've done.
2: Right now, I'm the managing partner of a group called Atlas Research Innovations. So we work really at the Kind of the interface of basic and applied questions with data as its central focus and I typically work on projects under Atlas that relate to problems dealing with commodities, environmental, infrastructure, um, natural resources, domains that I've kind of spent some time in over the last couple of decades and really a lot of what we're doing at Atlas now is builds upon some of the organizations that I've worked in the past so um, you know, for instance, I have a couple affiliations where I'm, I'm working with the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder. Uh, I have academic uh, relationships with the Media Lab at MIT. Um, and I'm blending that with some of the more specific traditional domain sectors where, you know, again, data has really been the core focus. So IBM, um, Computer Sciences Corporation, areas where they've been able to leverage the amount of data and computational resources that they have at their disposal towards really targeting solutions, uh, towards what their clients are asking for. And sometimes that comes in the form of a physical product, sometimes it's an analytical service, sometimes it's a combination of both. Um, But it really kind of runs the gambit from basic questions in data-driven research to targeted um, recommendations or responses on on the behalf of the users.
1: When you look at the the work you do and and the various different companies you've worked with, whether it be a a VP role at IBM or working with NASA or to big brand names like Coca-Cola, when you look back at the body of work, what is it about your job that you love the most?
2: There's always something that is humbling, uh, and I say that in a good sense. So one of the things that we see particularly in this space a lot is Uh, The assumption that if you have enough data and enough computational resources, you'll be able to answer anything. And every time we figure out something, we realize how much we don't know. So, if we kind of frame these questions under really under the guise of risk management, you know, it's less about trying to predict something with precision. You know, it could be more about understanding really what we don't know, and that just opens up a whole new series of questions. So. The idea that whatever I'm doing now, I'll probably be doing something different next week or next month that I'm not even thinking about today. Uh, that's always been intriguing and I think that's one of the things that's always kept
1: me going. As as somebody who's worked in various organizations and, and ran teams of scale, um, when you look at individuals transferring from academia to industry, what advice would you give those individuals and, and what do you see as being most important to make a successful transition from academic, academia into uh, industry?
2: That's a good question. And I think there's actually, from my perspective, there's two things. So the first thing, uh, and again, at a foundational level, I think this is important to be not just a data scientist, but any kind of scientist, is to really have that curiosity. So uh, if you're not curious about the way things work, you're not curious about understanding how it fits in the context of a puzzle, which includes any number of domains, um, you know, I don't think you're going to be very successful long term. You might be able to solve some targeted problems, but the chance of repeating that and you know being able to build a career out of that, I think, is slimmer if you don't have that curiosity. But to balance that, I think one thing is important, and I think this is something that you know I've certainly learned the hard way, and, and others uh, may as well. I do think it's important to have some area of domain expertise in something. It doesn't really matter what it is, but if you just approach problems with the math and statistics and data science lens, there's only so far you can go, there's only so deep you can go if you don't really understand the data you're working with and understand how the end user might want to take your recommendation and make a decision with that data. So I think it's really important to obviously have to understand how to ask questions, what is the scientific process, what does it really mean, what do the numbers tell you? But balancing that with really deep expertise in something. And again, it doesn't really matter what it is, but I do think it's important to know, you know really know your field and how it applies to other areas because we'll run into brick walls. And I think one of the things, you know, again, I saw this with some of the teams I was building people don't really understand how the data is generated there, there is a limit in terms of the types of questions you can ask and that's really just going to hinder what you're going to do with that going forward so I really do think it's a combination of those two is the curiosity piece as well as you know, picking an area that interests you and just try to know everything you can about it with the recognition that whatever you know, there's still much more that you don't know. So again, they're kind of they're both they both kind of work in tandem with each other. Because if you're curious about something, and then you realize that there's so much you don't know, that's just going to motivate you to learn more about it. And then it's kind of
1: this cycle that really just never stops. Absolutely, yes. Um. So you touched on it in in terms of finding an area of interest. Um. So if you were speaking to the next generation of of data science. Uh, professionals, data science engineers. Um, what what trends or topics they, do you see right now that um, if you were starting all over again, you would follow?
0: Um,
2: that's a good question. I think about this a lot and I talk about this a lot. Um, you know, One of the things that I think is a really promising and interesting area is just the notion of I mean, I guess today it's called IoT, but it's really you know how sensors and data that's generated from sensors that are literally all around us, how that really is going to shape you know, what society is going to move towards, and you know how that influences not just individual, personal, social behavior, but how it influences commercial behavior, and you know, there's just so much. Again, going back to you know one of the intro points. The size of the data is a good thing. That could be an enabler for some types of questions, but it also really can be a limiting factor because the more data you have, it doesn't necessarily mean that you use that data as raw material to find what you're after. So when we look at all these different disparate types of data, whether it be credit cards, satellite, mobile phone data from cars, I mean, if you really look at any industry, at the end of the day they're all about generating data that somebody's going to mine and try to use Uh, and thinking about how that's going to really shape the infrastructure of society going forward uh, that to me is probably one of the most interesting questions that we have right now and if I were just entering this field it's funny because I have children you know one's a college age and one is high school age and I think about what's ahead of them uh, I'm certainly thinking that that's an area that no matter what you go into just kind of taking that framework is something that would be a really interesting foundation to have towards you know, what you're going to do for the rest of your career.
0: Here at Aldus, we want to make the hiring process easier for all. Whether you're an employer or an aspiring employee, we have the service for you. For full-time work, Aldus will partner with you to find the best person for the position. Using both our network and our rigorous qualification process, we ensure that only the best talent is shortlisted. We will manage the process and work with you to select our most suitable candidate for your organization. We also offer excellent temp hiring services. At Allus, we provide a great opportunity to help you and our candidate make the right choice. The contract period is one long interview for your full-time opening and the extended experience with our consultant helps you make the best decision. Allus International is here to quickly help you find the best AI candidate. Our experts stay in close contact with our consultants throughout the duration of the contract, ensuring they have everything they need to get the job done.
1: So we, we touched on it in previous conversations from the, the roles you held uh, working at NASA and IBM. You, you've built many different teams, and you've also worked on projects that have had incredible uh, impact. So looking at the, the value that can be, can be uh, added to an organization or to an industry, what do you think are the, the main focus points to create value when implementing data science into a business?
2: One of the things that I always find important, and I always try to steer the conversation towards my perspective, and a lot of that really just gets down to understanding risk. And what I mean by that is when people think of data science and AI and machine learning and kind of this whole suite of technologies that's associated, at the end of the day, most people want an answer. And their expectations are if we're going to charter this group or this team or this company with doing something with our data the product should be an answer. And I think it should be a little different. I think we kind of need to shift the conversation a little bit to understanding the, you know, this whole realm of possibilities, but not necessarily get focused on what is the decision going to be as far as a point, you know, pinpointing a specific answer because at the end of the day that's always going to be wrong. Um, no matter how you score a model or a solution or a recommendation, if you look, that, look at that as a forecast or a prediction of something that's going to happen, and whatever that decision point is, when we get there, it's, it's very easy to say that that was incorrect. And it might be correct for a while, but you know, and this is, gets into one of the you know, one of the self fulfilling problems that we have with decision analytics. The more that one might be right, the more confidence they have in this model or approach or technique. And my view is each right answer, you're just one step closer to a wrong answer that's going to have negative consequences. So I think kind of shifting the dialogue a little bit towards getting away from specific answers to understanding the realm of possibilities and being prepared for those possibilities uh, is a better way to take our field in, you know, in aggregate to the next level. So um, there's a book I read early, um, probably very early in my, professional career called Fooled by Randomness Um, and it really is all about understanding we might know a lot we might think we know a lot but again the more we know the more we realize we don't know and being prepared to accept that risk and focus on correlations between different types of data that might be pointing in one direction or another they might not necessarily be causal, but they're just related to each other, and that's a very dangerous uh, dangerous slope to walk down. So um, I think kind of moving the dialogue a little bit away from this data engine decision output approach towards, okay, here's the data, and it's more of a fluid approach. You know, this is the realm of possibilities. These are the risks that are involved. It still can kind of guide us towards a decision, but a decision with a caveat that we understand you know, what can go wrong
1: if that decision
2: is misplaced.
1: When you look at the the ideal structure of a data science team and, and you, what has been your approach in terms of bringing in talent and, and structuring it in the right way, what does the ideal data science team look like and how do you go about building it?
2: I think the the teams that have had the most success in my experience have been truly interdisciplinary. So I think everybody kind of has to speak the common language of math, but beyond that, to me, it doesn't really matter what, you know, you're talking earlier about which language people should focus on. If people are curious to learn what languages they need to attack the problem. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that people have to come in with a certain set of prerequisites as far as what, you know, if you're comfortable coding in Python, then that's fine. If the work you do is really less Python or R-specific and more application-specific, that's fine too. So I think if you ha- as long as you have that common base where we can speak in, Mathematical terms and understand what that means. But beyond that, it's good to have the, you know the hardcore engineers balanced with domain scientists, balanced with people in the social sciences. so and, and that's actually a good point. It's not just about people that come from a hard science or math background. Um, there's a lot of computational social science, which I think people that come through you know economics and sociology and political science and other areas that still might not fall under the you know the typical representation of what we think of as a scientist, but they're still very heavy domains in terms of data. Um, I think those are equally important perspectives. So it's not just about the technology, but how the technology is going to spill over into other aspects of society. So you know, having teams that have all those different pieces of the puzzle, you know, I think, are the most successful. Um, you know, there's always this. A lot of people talk about okay, let's put a bunch of smart people with PhDs and all these different fields in a room and something good will come out of it. I don't necessarily agree with that approach. I think really finding a balance of perspectives and disciplines is, is the better way to move forward towards building a team in this space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we hear time and time again, the importance of getting the balance between um, technical ability and um, team cohesion and communication is often uh, the, the number one factor in a team's success or failure. Speaking to the next generation of of data scientists or people within academia, how do they become a good data scientist? What should they be focusing on?
2: It's kind of going back to the point earlier. Just asking questions, finding those domains that interest you, and going very deep, uh, but still understanding how it fits in with other pieces of the puzzle. So, there's a lot of. I think one of the things that people entering the field now have that wasn't necessarily available 15 or 20 years ago was this really this open source community of putting ideas out there, meeting with people, um, you know, meetups and everything else that kind of falls under that you know, you know, that category, they weren't really around 15 years ago. You just had to go to a, a specific conference. You had to identify the people you wanted and make that physical effort of somehow meeting up with them. Now, it, there just seems to be, you know, no matter what your interest is, there are you know a variety of outlets where you can get together and meet with people. And, and it's good, It's worth noting, those people can also be your, your competitors, so they could be people that are working in the same industry on the same problem, but there still is this, this critical mass of information that's put out there under an open source environment that allows people to share, and that elevates the whole field. Uh, and as entrants into the field, having access to ideas and tools and you know, really the whole, you know, the, the, this whole social notion of sharing information, um, I think. Tapping into that early and getting involved with the right groups is going to be very instrumental for somebody that's just kind of figuring, you know, they're navigating their way. There's so many things I want to work on, which direction do I want to go. But having this platform of, you know, this whole social network around uh, inclusion and exchange of ideas is, uh, is pretty important.
1: Excellent. Um, so following on from the points you touched on regarding the, the, the wider community that's available to, to people now that wasn't there 10 to 15 years ago. Um, what advice would you give to people on, on how to maximize that, whether it's through meetups or our GitHub or our blogs? where If somebody's not doing that, where should they start and what should they look at?
2: I think it's a combination of all of the factors you mentioned. I mean, GitHub, for example, is a great place for testing ideas early and seeing what's out there. So you don't have to sit down and start your code base from scratch. Uh, a lot of times, you know, GitHub provides that platform to put something out there, share it, and it's going to save you know, who knows how many hour you know, man hours of work because somebody's already done it already. So I think if you're really into the coding aspect, that's important. Um, but I also think that it's important to get out of that pure technology perspective and balance it with, I mean, really to what we're talking about today, you know, podcasts such as these, listening to what other people are talking about, sitting down and listening to a 15 or 20 minute podcast can often be just as valuable, if not much more valuable than just constantly talking with people in the smaller circle of just what's dealing with coding questions. So I think, you know, for the portion of the community that is going to be sitting there writing code all day, you know, that, that's certainly important, but keeping the bigger perspective where you're listening to podcasts, where you're going to you know, free events, where you're networking. I mean, just about every city has networking opportunities that are low cost or, or free where you can go and actually exchange ideas and talk to people face to face. And I think, it really needs to be balanced with that aspect as well because um, very, it's very easy when you're working on some of these problems to lose touch with what's happening outside of, you know, outside of your network. And uh, if you're not constantly being refreshed with what else is happening, how your questions and how your ideas fit into the broader context of commercial or technology, that technological activity, um, it could be limiting.
1: You've been listening to AI Mentors. I'm your host, JP Valentine with Michael Ferrari. Michael, thank you for your time today.
2: Thank you very much. I enjoyed the conversation.
0: Get the Aldous Advantage. Become a member of the Aldous community and enjoy some of the following. AI Meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to Aldis members. And don't forget our AI on Action podcast. Each week we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career and more. Become an Aldis member and get the Aldis advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldis.com. That's www.aldis.com. Aldis International. Empowering through AI.